Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 75. I'm Rocco, and with me this week is Ryan. What's going on, Ryan? Right fresh back from Southeast Linux Fest. I want to go back. I love it. Yep. Zeb? How are you? Yeah, we're, we're back. And I'm back in my little bottom left-hand corner. It felt really weird last week in the top right. <laughs> and the standby Michael. It's definitely Michael. It's okay. definitely Michael. And, and, and Plasma is definitely 5.13. Wow. So you're wow. excited for this show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we, we are going to cover Plasma 5.13. We're going to cover a little bit of Linux Mint. We're going to do a little bit of gaming. So, but before we get into that, we got an email, Ryan. Yeah. And this is a guy that listens to the show, and mm-hmm. he wanted to let us know that we he thought we'd be interested in the fact that Linux, in his opinion, is already dominant in the high-end VFX world. So the animation world, um, he says he works for a small animation studio where Linux is the pro-dominant OS, but... Is the industry standard is but is the industry standard not the exception? So what do you think, yeah. man? I think this is awesome. First of all, thank you so much for sending this email and kind of giving us some behind the scenes information on this. We covered. I think the reason this came up is we were covering was it the um, red camera that was coming yeah. out at the time, and we were mentioning about how this is important to kind of push Linux into the film industry and all of that, and he came in and said, hey, from behind the scenes perspective, from a small studio, and also he mentions other studios here, Linux is already kind of dominating. Now, it's interesting, he said a lot of them use CentOS, and that makes sense because, for instance, if you want to use DaVinci Resolve, because I have that Blackmagic capture card, it recommends CentOS as the preferred installer, all the installer instructions and everything, at least at one point, were geared towards just CentOS. But he goes on to list all of the software. A lot of these I'd never heard of or did, wasn't aware that they were available for Linux, like Autodesk, Maya, Mudbox, Foundry Moto, Nuke, DaVinci Resolve, of course, Fusion, SideFX, Houdini, um, all utilize, all available on Linux. So that was pretty awesome. And Michael, you were aware of one of the other studios he mentioned here as well. Yeah, there's he, he mentions uh, Pixar and DreamWorks, but there's also these these studios that are specifically for like animations and uh, computer graphics st- studios where they they do work for other companies. And uh, Industrial Light and Magic and Weta Digital uh, are heavily in Linux, and you can actually find. Uh, videos when they describe them just you know there's behind the scenes videos for various different movies and when you see it you can see like any bit like there's sometimes there's CentOS sometimes there's Ubuntu but it's they're very like upfront about that they use Linux for doing everything yeah apparently behind the scenes view into Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. with he there is a point where if you're watching that uh, extras on the on the creation of it a point where they go to show some of the creators of the animations and they have Ubuntu up Hey, there's a, Linux is actually very popular in that that in, that industry, and it's it's they, people. It's kind of funny because people look at it as saying like you know it's not professional level and blah blah. But as far as the film and animations uh, industry, this Linux is the biggest and the actually it's the only the, really the only thing that they, they use. But also, 
it's professional grade to an extreme. So mm. most of the software that is like, for example, DaVinci Resolve is not like that expensive. It's, it's a reasonable price, but other ones that are like these special like node based animators and things like that. Some of them go up to like $20,000. Wow. So, so you're so not going to be going and downloading that and playing with it. Pro probably not. So <laughs> it was, it, we have the open source level and then the incredibly expensive, crazy commercial professional grade. And then right in the middle, it's like, can we have some more please? <laughs> yes. But what this means is Linux is dominating regardless. Oh, yeah. I mean, Linux is everywhere, which is interesting because, you know, even with my time in Linux, I wouldn't have realized that it was such a staple in certain animation studios. Like I figured it was used uh, in, in places. But knowing that, I think, is awesome. And that's why I love emails like this, where people kind of give us that behind the scenes look into their industry, because you get to see this whole new world of stuff that otherwise, how would you know, you know, that, oh, that exists? Wow. Wow, Michael. <laughs> so, Ryan, when are you going to move on to this XWM that he mentions? Yeah, so this is Emacs Window Manager, and I need to try it out. But right now, of course, I've been playing a lot with, you know, Fedora and OpenSUSE and other things. So I've, I've taken a hiatus from the window managers at the moment, but I will definitely check out Emacs since he recommended it here. Well, we'd like to thank uh, Richard for the email. And if you would like to send us an email and let us know your thoughts on the show, you can do that at comments at destinationlinux.org. So what have you been up to this week, Rocco? Well, look, I have some exciting news to share. Oh, so, my goodness. You distro hopped. No. Last oh. week, um, we talked about Trackmania Nations Forever and yeah. how Martin snapped it up and it works great. Okay. But he also mentioned, we also mentioned, uh, Alan brought up the fact that they had snapped a steam version of windows and I installed it and I actually had call of duty two, call of duty five and a few other games playing on Linux yesterday. Oh my God. It was absolutely awesome. Now it's not without bugs as far as there's nothing wrong with the snap version of it, but, uh, when you transfer, I guess I may need to modify some things because some of the, like, for example, in World at War, Call of Duty 5, some of the sounds weren't coming through. So you'd hear half mm -hmm. the sounds and then other sounds weren't coming through. But Call of Duty 2 played flawlessly. And it was so awesome to play a game like that on Linux. Yeah, and that's nice. So I opened up my Steam library. And some of the games, like a lot of the newer games, like Middle of Earth, uh, Shadow of War, it doesn't allow you to install it even on that because it'll give you an error message saying it's not the right platform. But ha I would say at least half of my games had the install button there, and I was like, install, install, install. <laughs> wow. So, so, Michael, does that take care of the security concerns when running Wine within Linux because that is containerized? It depends on how they made the snap. I haven't looked into see like there's certain ways to make snaps that are not fully confined, but they if they use the strict mode, then yes, it would be. And like if you have a conf any kind of contained wine, your security issues are pretty much done. They're gone anyway because I mean the 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 snap or the flat pack or whatever you use to do that confinement that itself could be infected in some way maybe, but more than likely it would be solved for the most part. 
Nice. So it was really exciting to do that, and I appreciate the work that Martin and Alan put into uh, snapping that cool. up. So check it out at Snapcrafters. Awesome. Uh, what is the website? Snapcrafters. Snapcraft.io. That's it, Michael. You got it. Hmm. All right, uh, Ryan, what have you been up to, man? So I'm a complete AMD guy now. I have a full AMD build from the Ryzen 2700X CPU. So we got the second gen Ryzen in here and the AMD Vega 56, which means I can distro hop without installing drivers or anything. <laughs> I've been playing with Fedora and installing it, and it's just happy land because everything works with the AMD stuff. Unlike, uh, you know, NVIDIA works really well, honestly, across Linux, but, you know, especially if, depending on the distro's choices, like Wayland is default or whatnot, it can get a little frustrating. So having this complete AMD build has been a blast and I've just been gaming away and pushing it to its limits and having an absolute fun time with that. So that's what I've been up to. Complete AMD build. Nice. So from, from Red Camera, you went Team Red. That's right. I went Team Red. I'm very happy being a part of the AMD. It's so nice to be back on a platform of AMD because I've had AMD builds before where it's not only competitive with Intel, but in certain cases completely stomps it and in other cases completely on par with it. So I think that's awesome. Zeb, what have you been up to, sir? Um, well, it's been a pretty basic week for me, just doing my usual distro hopping, trying out various bits and pieces. And then on Biddle last night, another Antigos challenge was thrown out because the last time it happened, it didn't go too well for everybody there. So I've gone Antigos Cinnamon and um, I'm running it now, believe it or not. So I did an extreme distro hop before we <laughs> went live. I know, Zeb, he's affecting and you, man. It's working. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> So if I suddenly crash out, I can blame Antigos. So for the, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, we've coined extreme distro hopping as if you have something super important to do, about an hour or two before you're supposed to do that thing, uh, you distro hop and then see if you can get caught up in time in order to still uh, be able to do that important thing. Yeah, I, and I actually tried that a couple a few weeks ago uh, on accident because I needed to test something. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's about to do the show. So... Rocco's thrilled about yeah, and you make everybody's hopping. hair fall out, you know, because <laughs> you know you're extreme distro hopping, and we got a show to do. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, All right, what do we got in news? Well, we have Mint Linux Mint 19 releasing in the news beta. You, yeah, have you played with this beta at all? I have. Uh, it is a really nice beta, Michael. I know you're not a big Linux Mint fan. But they have fixed some of your concerns, Michael. Yeah. They're literally going after Michael as their uh, core audience now because they didn't only fix it. I think they completely solved it. So it's a workaround. The update manager now <laughs> does not split, display the numbers for updates. And there's no numbering system. Now, it's in the settings where you can look at it, but it's not showing to users to say, hey, this is a five and this is a three and, you know. So yep. they've effect, they've actually um, made some good changes, Michael. What do you think? I appreciate they're putting effort in to solve some of the longstanding issues that I've had with it. Um, it's very nice to see that they are putting that effort in. I I don't I don't I wish they had gone a different route. It's just like just making the compatibility of the packages better. But I like the the solution for the time shift snapshots. 
it's a nice way of doing it's a nice workaround idea mm-hmm. that's so, almost it's like math does right they've got that time machine where you can go back if something goes wrong because it constantly takes yeah, snapshots it's a brilliant workaround for the issue that they were worried about because the reason why they put all those ratings is they were they were thinking well if you do some of these updates you're going to break your system and they don't want people having their systems broken. I get from the security standpoint, Michael, you saying, hey, this is still a major security issue because you're holding patches back from people. So this seems like the very best of the two worlds combined into an answer that now you have this snapshot of your system. So once you update, if something did break, you could roll it back and you're right back in business. To me, this isn't only a great fix. It's just a brilliant way of going about solving They've gone a bit over the top, though, on the defaults for time shift. I think they, they start off with five snapshots a day. Yeah. But they clear but you out can change after that, a couple of days. Don't they clear out them, though? Yeah, you can only have up to a maximum of five. But why would you want to take five snaps? You don't do five let's lots of updates in any one given day. Well, not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> You're not yeah, extreme I mean, enough. I, to... If you update once a day, you take a snapshot once a day. Not five. Yeah, you're right. It's taking the incremental changes that are happening in between the snapshots. So let's say you're not, it's not just about updating. It's about the programs that you installed throughout the day and the things that you did outside Mm -hmm. of just updates. Possibly. Well, they also improved the software store, which is really nice. Um, They have added new artwork. I'm sure you're excited about that, Ryan. Oh yeah. Thrilled. (laughs) Especially if it's pixel, pixel based. Yes. But anyway, uh, the stable release is expected at the end of this month, but we don't know an exact date because of they never give a date. So, right. So, I mean, you played with it, Rocco. Is this something you will consider using as a distro? I did consider using it as a distro. Um, now I have installed it on the laptop, which does not have NVIDIA graphics. So I don't know how it would act on the, you know, the main machine with NVIDIA graphics. So I will have to install it on another drive, but on that machine there, it works perfectly. And, you know, cinnamon has always been really customizable. Uh, it's in between, uh, it's not as customizable as KD, but Mm -hmm. way more customizable than say GNOME. Pretty much anything is more customizable than GNOME, though, I guess. But um, it's it's. I always like Cinnamon. It's very easy for somebody who doesn't know how to customize a Linux version to go mm-hmm. in. All of the settings are right there. There's no, like, like you can get lost in KDE settings. You're not going to get lost in Cinnamon, but yet be able to do most of the things you want to do. So, And to be fair to Mint, unless you're like one of us, who just tinkers with everything all day long. You can install Mint, just point people at it and forget it. It just works. Yeah, Mint is one of those ones that I usually load on people who are interested in Linux, load on their machines when I'm doing a build because if you want to play with Linux, to me, it's just a very stable environment for somebody mm-hmm. to be able to play around and kind of get their bearings. Uh, obviously, it's for you know professional people and experienced people as well. And now I really hope we're going to hear Michael saying, he has uh, installed Linux Mint now that they've fixed his number one complaint there. I mean, I used to use Mint oh, quite a few years ago, so it's not like I don't, you know, have a problem with them or anything. It's just there's certain technical security things that I didn't like. I'm glad that they have fixed a few things, but I would need to go in and like test everything to make sure, you know, it, it, it still is hasn't like, passed the Mitchell Turner test. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know, <laughs> I know. there are a few things that they have not affected and they have not addressed. So maybe in the future they will address those. But is that the WordPress plugin on the website? I mean, they need to fix their, they need to update their website. It's been like 10 years or something. So, uh, Ryan, but, when you say that you uh, put uh, Linux Mint out there for people, are you talking the Simmon version or do you recommend them doing another version like XFCE or something? Well, it, it depends. If it's somebody who is near me, then I'll go with XFCE because it's easier for me to walk them through any of the tweaks or anything like that. Meaning mm -hmm. if I can ac actually have support that I'm around. So mm -hmm. if it's a friend that's nearby, if it's not, I just go straight cinnamon because it's just, to me, it's cinnamon is a very familiar operating system. It looks very familiar to anybody coming from other OSs. You're not going to get lost in it and you're not going to accidentally customize something or move a bar on accident. It's, it's intuitive the way that you do do the customizations enough that somebody's not going to break it along the way of trying to customize it or play through mint use, if that makes sense. Yeah. Linux Mint is actually pretty nice, but there's something nicer, yeah. Michael. There's, and it's, it's, I'm, I think, thank you for setting me up for that being, you know, so much nicer. Yes, indeed. Uh, Plasma 5.13 was released this week, and there's so many cool things that I, there, it's hard. I, I'm just going to have to give it to Rocco. Otherwise I'll just continue talking forever about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I did notice that there was a video put out, Michael, uh, that, oh, yes. that uh, Tux Digital produced some. Yeah. In conjunction with others. Yeah, yes. With uh, Chris Fisher uh, narrating it, voice over. talking mm -hmm. about all of the changes. And I also noticed that the revamped lock and login screens that it talks about had the Tux digital logo on it. Oh, yes. Nice that was, plug uh, there, Michael. that was, that was accidental. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> was there a section where it had like a buy a t-shirt here? <laughs> there should be next time it'll be in the wallpaper. And, uh, but it, there was actually kind of funny cause it's like, I had to do that video while itself. And that was a very difficult situation. And that's why I got some help for that. Um, but anyway, the, the new stuff that's, that's in plasma, I think probably like the, one of the coolest things that you, there's it's, they didn't really put much attention in the, like the release notes. So that's why I put it in the video. There's a new blur system that you can essentially when you, you can lower the transparency of any application or any window and you could already do that. But now when you lower the application, you can act, you can enable a blur effect so that it's lowering the opacity, but you're not seeing what's behind it so clearly. Uh, because sometimes if you lower it too much, they would, they would kind of, if you have an overlap, it would like conflict with what you're seeing. And this mm -hmm. way it'll blur the, th you'll still be able to see what you want to see behind it but it'll blur it so it doesn't affect it that much. Yes, it has a kind of polished look to it, but I could yeah. have swore there was a setting for that in KDE already before to actually Everything blur the except background. Everything the blur part. Yeah, the blur part has been, was technically, there was it was available sort of, but it also didn't fully go to everything. So like, for example, the context menus of the different, when you like you know, right-click a page that didn't exist, things like that. So they just made it nicer. Right. So they just kind of like more flushed it out. Um, but they also, I think probably one of my favorite things is the updates to system settings and discover. So they've, they've made it much easier to use system settings and like first, like the um, uh, changing icons is a lot, is a lot more seamless. The uh, changing your theme for like, if you're using the uh, Kubuntu theme for default Kubuntu, for example, of course, um, 
Yep, of course. Um, and there's there's a lot of cool things for like just customizations that make it easier to use everything. You also have uh, plaza, Plasma browser integration for downloads and media controls. So when you see a, a download, when you download something, say, in Firefox, you'll be able to get the notification through your system tray. Your actual notifications yeah. of the system will show the download. Instead of having to go and check the, like, open the downloads window of Firefox to check it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. Yep. Like, and uh, there's been a lot of um, a lot of cool updates and stuff to even like KD Connect and everything. Um, this is kind of silly, but I'm glad it's finally there. There's a notification history in Plasma. And Plasma 5 has had an issue with notifications over the past existence of Plasma 5. And the, the biggest problem they had is, that for one, they didn't have a history until I think 5.11, and then when they added it, it was still missing a very key p- feature of being able to clear all the notifications if you didn't need them anymore. Mm-hmm. That is now there. So it's much easier to use. Uh, so like all That's the, a like, pretty the, useful feature when you've got 900 notifications. Yeah. 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 Especially if you have it set up to, con- to connect to your phone and everything that happens on your phone goes into your desktop uh, notifications. Yeah. That could be a little bit much when you have all your other desktop notifications going into. So did they so forget it, that feature or it just didn't work prior? It just wasn't working properly. So they had to like, postpone it to the next release kind of thing. So Michael, for us mere mortals who just use Kubuntu <laughs> and Neon, how long will we have to wait before 5.13 makes its way into various backports, et cetera? So with Neon, you already have it. It's uh, 5.13 is available pretty much within the hour of it being announced. That's kind of how Neon, uh, how quickly Neon, sometimes even faster than that. The only issue with Neon right now, and it's probably like, the, it'll be like the longstanding issue forever, is that at a certain point in time, the packages that you're using are out of date. So you're going to not be able to use certain uh, polished improvements or performance and stuff like that because you're using like 1604 is still Neon. And then when eighteen when they switch to 1804, you're going to be looking at a situation where eventually you st- it'll still be 1804, but you know it's kind of it's there's like that that trade-off. Whereas Kubuntu doesn't currently have 512, but it will in about a week or two mm. uh, because they need to backport some stuff from from 1810 to 1804. Right. So that there's a you can you can get all the latest core and everything with Kubuntu, but you have to wait for Plasma. Mm-hmm. And with Neon, you gotta you can get the latest Plasma, but you have to wait for the core to update. Right. So, like, so there's that, a, that trade-off. So if you've added the backports already, it will just come through? Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll come through eventually, whenever it's ready. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They haven't really said when. I've talked to one of the developers at Kubuntu, and they said it's going to be like a week or two. Nice. But there's uh, other distros. It's the same kind of thing. Like, Arch already has it. Uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed already has it. I don't think Leap is going to be getting it at all, but I, they haven't really given any information about that yeah i had heard that it was going to be two or three weeks for the backports so yep all right so on to some um more frustrating news sad news i should say with kde so there is a maintainer named martin michael help me out flosser i don't know is that how you say it <laughs> Flosser, no I like to say Flosser because it's like the free Linux or free LibreOffice. We'll yeah. just call him Martin. 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 Okay, yeah. so Martin. he is the developer for Kwin, I believe, or one of them. Yeah, he was one of the. He was the main the maintainer for Kwin, and he has basically 
kind of like stepping out of the maintaining part of Kwin. <laughs> and the reason he's giving is because um, there have been discussions with the visual design group for KDE, and they have not always asked or communicated well with the developers. And he is afraid that KDE is becoming more about adding every little setting for one or two users rather than having it being maintained for usability for everybody. So, Michael, you're into KDE. What do you think? Uh, it's unfortunate. He makes some good points. I also disagree with him in some other cases um, because he, he says that in, in some cases he says that it's because the the VDG disagrees and they just do things without asking developers. But there are also times where the developers will do things without asking anyone else. And they just, it's kind of like a double-sided thing. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate that he's, that he's leaving, but he did say that he's not fully leaving. He just, he doesn't want to be the main tank, the full maintainer anymore because he, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to have the battles of whether what, and what happens and what changes and things like that. So instead he's just going to do some development and if someone needs it needs help from him to do certain things to improve kde he still will be there yeah i mean he mentions in this article that while he has some critiques here ultimately the kde team does an amazing job which i thought was a nice way to start out <laughs> putting some sugar on top before you go into all these critiques but the critiques all really boil down to and in, in my opinion when i was reading through them communication issues and not it seems like on the outside, not being involved, that a really um, a program manager to come in there and create a unified communication platform and organize these teams better would be something that they could utilize that would address nearly every critique that he had. And instead of it leaving it kind of like um, a wild, wild west thing where it sounded like one group uses this communication tool this group, when they're talking about stuff, uses this communication tool. And there was just a lot of uh, breakdown yeah. with how people are talking to each other and organizing. As far as com communication goes, um, I would have to agree. There are There's a lot of confusion. Like when I started contributing to KDE, um, there's a, there's quite a few things to hard, that's, that's hard to pay attention in some cases. And, they, and sometimes some of the group, and the groups are in different places. And they expect you to, if you join the group, to be paying attention to everything. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not possible. Like it's not humanly possible to do that. But in one case I was trying to talk to someone and I was like, well, well, can we update this? And then about three days later, I got a response saying, Hey, they moved to matrix. So they're not gonna be able to see this message. And then a week later they came back and said, Oh, we're gonna use telegram now. Like, okay. Then why are you, what? Like I'm, I'm super confused. And then you also look at uh, plasma's telegram or KDE's telegram groups. There's like, 10 to 15 groups and they all are wow. consisting of different departments of KDE and they're just, it's kind of confusing how to get to them all or where you're going to find them all. And it's just, just things like that. And they also have a forum and they all, but that, that, that forum is, is kind of seeming to be support only, but there's also the fabricator, which is where there's a lot of tasks that people communicate on threads there. So it's hard to keep up where everything is supposed to be because there isn't a unified solution for that or like an organized solution for that. So I, I if, it, if that's the reason why he's uh, bothered by it, I can totally understand that. One. Well, yeah. he talks about going bring to people wanting KDE to go back to plasma 
5 and KD3 days where it was just a huge mess to maintain, where there are so many settings and so many things. And it's interesting to hear that kind of a viewpoint because KD was always noted for all of these settings. But the Visual Design Group also made a blog post and kind of, I guess, defended their position a little bit, or one of them did, and basically said that there really is no one visual design group like members from the very beginning who started conversations are not there any longer so you have new members coming in of the visual design group that maybe weren't in those previous conversations so they did admit basically that there was a a uh, a lack of communication for everybody but yeah. uh, to say that there's no v v vdg is uh very confusing considering there's a there's groups specifically for VDG and there's forums specifically for VDG. And it's like, if there isn't one, then how is anybody supposed to know that when there's all these different things that say VDG? Yeah. I mean, when you look at the one paragraph, it kind of cracks me up because he talks about, you know, VDG discussions, many of them join telegram and then some switched to, to Google hangouts. And then they went back to telegram when it had a new shiny, then they have an IRC and then they have matrix. And then I'm like, no wonder nothing is uh, the communications kind of broken here when you've got everybody just using their platform of choice. I mean, would you imagine if when we were doing this show, if like I preferred to use IRC chat or something else, you guys are all communicating in telegram, but me and Zeb are over here in this other tool. Like you, it would be a disaster. I, I mean, just think I, it's a shame, man. Yeah. I, I think it's a shame that there's a communication is not there. And yeah. yet plasma is coming along leaps and bounds. So can you imagine how much more it would come along if they talked better? Yep. It does come around leaps and bounds, but and, and I love plasma, but it doesn't come without its issues. And I think that's probably what he's saying here. You know, there, there are times when, especially if you use neon, where there are just a lot of things that don't work as intended even with the notif notifier, for instance, for KDE Connect as an example that we just talked about, you know, those things are, um, they're, they're issues. They're not all in sync. And it's got to be very difficult for Plasma because of all the settings it has. But it did make me put some weight when I was looking at this towards some of the things GNOME has done when they said, hey, this is too difficult for us to continue to maintain and code. So we're going to pull it out. Now, I don't agree with all their decisions that they did that with, but it is interesting to see on the flip side when you have all of these things going on at once, how it can create another kind of uh, chaotic environment a little bit. Just a thought. I mean, there's, there's, I agree, but, and it's also kind of like interesting because um, KDE is such a huge project that Plasma is not even what is not, it's, it's kind of the main thing they do, but it's not the only thing they do. So that like they do a lot of other things that has, uh, you know, various different, um, you know, the pain, pain points where even if you have the Plasma team all communicating, that's why Plasma is, is, is moving so quickly and having so many new things. Maybe the Plasma team is having a good communication, but other teams are not. So it's kind of hard to tell because yeah. of such the, the, the massive size that KDE is. So yep. it's just, it's an interesting topic and I would love to know more from the various different, you know, people in KDE see if they can shed some light on it. Mm -hmm. But on a bigger scale, just when you thought it was safe to come back to Linux, yet another <laughs> flaw has been found in various, I guess, processes and processes. And the, the thing I love about Linux is no sooner do you get a whiff 
of some sort of danger, then there's a patch comes out and all the warnings go out to tell us. So is this is this patch number three or patch number four with regard to sort of like the whole meltdown? Oh, as far as how many patches, this is like 20. As far as the vulnerability stuff, uh, I think there's been a total of five found. Mm-hmm. But they do so, patches all the time. Like every so big one probably has another one. It's important to note in this specific case, they, the security issues were all security issues that would have had to have been executed locally yep. uh, mm-hmm. on the machine. So this is not like somebody can remote, you know, uh, right. in, 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 and execute these for you. But the point is, is that because you always have these eyes and these security institutions and everybody looking at the Linux kernel constantly, they're finding this stuff, fixing it before it becomes an issue. And that's the beauty of Linux, right? Mm -hmm. You've got all these eyes constantly searching. There's also the main thing is like one of the, the, there's a lot of these patches that are, are kind of looked at being security patches, but they're kind of improvements to existing security patches already so for example like the meltdown inspector there's been quite a few patches that have been done but they're mainly to make the like they've already solved the mitigation problem but they want to make it more uh, performant and improve the the patch that they made so they make more patches to just Mm -hmm. improve the patch that they already did so like that kind of thing happens as well so to bring this into the real world reality ryan's just bought a second gen amd in his 2700x is that still flawed or would yes. that have been fit? technically in a way? Yes. And also not as much as others. For example, the meltdown issue does not apply to AMD in most cases, like yeah. almost all of their stuff is not, is not affected by meltdown, but they are affected by specter. And as unfortunately it's because it's not because the hardware them, itself or the manufacturers itself is necessarily uh, bad, uh, poorly done. It's because there's a concept that was created. Speculative execution was was created in like the '60s when the hardware wasn't really able to do things, and they didn't ha- foresee the possibility that this could they be they could be so powerful that they could create they do the speculative execution in such a quick way mm-hmm. to the, to be able to ex- to manipulate and use that as a vulnerability. So because they were doing it and they were doing the whole uh, Murphy's law of everything du- doubling ever a couple, every couple of years or so, because they were doing it so much and they were innovating so much, that was the one thing that they didn't really innovate on. And because of that, it kind of just caught up to us. Yeah. And I just want to be very clear. This isn't a Linux only issue. This isn't yeah. a Windows this only this issue. Is hardware. This isn't an Intel only issue or an AMD only issue. Like everyone across the board is impacted by mm-hmm. this. Um, this is just work canonical on the Linux side is doing to patch their pieces of yeah. potential vulnerabilities that we're talking about here. But it, irregardless of what infrastructure you're on, Short of being on an ARM, because I haven't heard whether the ARM architecture is impacted or not. It is, it is impacted, just not nearly as badly. It's like seven or eight processors that are actually affected by Spectre and one that's got meltdown. I the think. rumor is Apple will be moving their desktops and laptops to an ARM processor, which is interesting because I'm not so sure that has been a major priority in ARM of patching all of those vulnerabilities and issues, at least it's not in the news and maybe that's because it's not a, it's a staple in people's phones, but not really into desktop environments yet. Arm gets a kind of gets a cheat because of the way, the way it's infrastructured, if something is affected by one, one particular version model of an arm chip, 
that does not correlate to other ARM chips. Whereas x86, if x86 is architecture itself was, is affected, which it is, it applies to everyone. Yeah. So, uh, and every core, every, every model and every manufacturer doesn't matter. Whereas ARM it's specifically designed. So it's more, it's more modular and, and more independent from other versions of ARM. So it's even like the V7 or V8 arms are so different that the software made for each one of them are incompatible. Interesting. You have to, you have to recompile, like you, the source would be fine to do it, but you have to recompile. So it won't just automatically work. So if you're feeling a little uneasy about security, I'm about to make you feel better. I'm about to bring some goodness. I need some good news, Ryan. You know, we have talked about Rocco on the show. We've had VPN services reach out to us and ask to sponsor the show and things like that. And we looked into it and we're like, ah, because we're big fans of private internet access. There are some other ones out there, but a lot of us here utilize that. And that's because there are actual records of proven times where people have attempted to get information from Pia. And there are no logging policy, unlike other VPNs out there who say they don't log but do, has proven even in court when they're under all the pressure of being sued and, you know, um, all of the subpoenas and everything against them. They're like, look, we don't log. We don't have it. You can threaten all you want. It's not there. Well, this came up again in a recent hacking trial in San Francisco for a second time that they've proven that they do not they do not keep logs. So this was very interesting news and very, very happy to see that you use PS still too, Rocco, right? Yes, I do. It is the best VPN out there. Um, And I I don't say that because every technical specification on the GUI or on is perfect. I say that because of the article that we're talking about, because Mm -hmm. there is proof. There's a track record. There's a history of them not logging and not giving your information and also being honest about what they're doing. Yep. And so, some like other companies. Like, like an article like this doesn't, you know, I'm not okaying what people are doing here. Okay. But this stretches back to 2015 where a guy was hacking into a website and they couldn't get, you know, they brought private internet access in because they figured they would have access to his records and they didn't give him anything. And funny, funny enough, it was actually the Comcast records that, allowed them to correlate emails and, and IPs and stuff to pinpoint him. But mm-hmm. it's it's comforting to know that you're with a company that does what they actually say they do, not yep. work. It's like some, I mean, you could say that the whole people can use everything in nefarious, you know, or malicious ways. So like, no matter what, like it's better that the people who um, are doing it honestly are going to be, you know, rest assured that it's safe to use and they're doing what they say they'll do. Yeah, because a lot of laws are created for the 1%. I think that's a very right. good point. In this case, he's a hacker. He ruined somebody's website with a Guy Fox image and some anonymous message about journalism and things. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a good cause he has for human rights or whatever. But in any case, uh, let's say he was a bad hacker. He's a bad person, does bad things. You know, it's great they get caught. At the same time, those of us who do the right things but just don't want our privacy invaded. They want all of our information out there. That's mm-hmm. who Pia, instead of focusing on the 1% of bad people, they're focusing on the 99% of the people utilizing their service who just don't want the metadata grabbing 
uh, information to be stolen on every little thing that they're doing. And PIA stands behind what it's doing. And as long as it keeps doing that, it's why a lot of us recommend it here. Yeah. And the best part about this. And no, they don't sponsor us in case anybody was wondering, but they should. They should. They (laughs) They should someday, but they don't. And that's not why we brought up the article. The article is brought up because it's awesome. Yeah, and I, the best part about it is when I when I saw it, I I had to just like sh- show everybody about it because my favorite part about it is the word again. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Because so, yeah. wasn't it the FBI last time they said no, go away, we haven't got anything. Yeah, I don't know who it was, but I think that, I think there was I think there's been multiple. I think there's one they done it in court before, and they did it where other com- like I think one of the agencies contacted them about it. And like, we don't have it, so mm-hmm. so you know, best of luck but we're not helping. (laughs) um, But another thing that happened, and we definitely are going to have to say best of luck to see what happens on this one. (laughs) uh, Just some small news, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's, it's no one's talked about this at all. No, we're the first breaking news. news. Um, Microsoft has decided to purchase GitHub. Yeah. Or no way. they say seven point five billion dollars, but it's it's more. It's not exactly because there's some stock stuff, so it's like not fully seven point seven point five nine. It's like the total value technically is no. that with the st- anyway. Doesn't matter. Who cares? They're rich. Good good for them. Um, so this is an interesting topic because it, it created a huge influx of people from GitHub switching to GitLab and GitT and all kinds of things. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. And I know, Ryan, you have some scripts up on GitHub uh, in the past and say, have you decided if you're going to switch or not? And if so, what do you switch to and why is it getting? Um, that's funny. I, I think people, um, I think some entities have overreacted with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. Now, there are companies out there who would have a justification to say, I don't want Microsoft necessarily being the host of my private repositories because they may be in a competing industry with Microsoft. So them switching totally makes sense. Um, Not that I think Microsoft would go in there and try to steal that because they would never do bad things like that, but it makes sense for them to jump. But for every day users and people who already have their stuff open sourced, um, they're just moving simply because they don't like Microsoft and they, they fear what Microsoft's doing, even though Microsoft has made some very conscientious moves to saying we love open source. Obviously their new Azure platform is on the Linux kernel. A lot of people are predicting Microsoft may do a lot more in the operating system world with Linux in the future, based on some of their moves. They seem to have a very different leadership in place than they've had before. We did meet some people from GitLab. I think it was Jason Plum, Michael at self, Mm-hmm. And they talked about the influx of traffic that they mm-hmm. received. Now, as far as your question uh, for me about switching, I put my script up on and my other stuff up on GitLab, but I left it on GitHub as well. And frankly, I mean, to me, they're both great services. They both have neat features. I'm just more familiar with GitHub right now. So unless something comes out where Microsoft starts selling ads on it or a metadata grabbing or I hear about that, I'm probably just going to stay at GitHub for now. Yeah, I think I think that's actually a reasonable thing, and also the 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 being doing duplicate thing. For example, there's a lot of projects that, uh, as far as open source software, it doesn't really matter where it is because as long as it's accessible, that's really the whole point of it in the first place. So I don't see a problem with the people having it on GitHub 
And if they have it on GitHub and GitLab, that kind of solves it entirely. So if, oh, if you're worried that Microsoft might take your code, well, it's open source and it's, they could do it anyway at any point. Or maybe they're going to take it and make it proprietary and like, well, who cares? Because you're also on GitLab. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the switch from the people who are like just, you know, outright, you know, you know, uh, kill it with fire for GitHub. It's like, it's kind of an extreme. And I don't think it's necessarily that big, that, that problem, that big of a problem right now. Microsoft has definitely proven in the past 25 years um, that they hate open source. But, you know, the past four years, they've tried to put some effort into changing that. So I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they might change. And they could prove to me and as well as probably a lot of people in the community, if they were to just take something that did not benefit them and open source that or not even open source it, but just provide it as it accessible to a platform that doesn't benefit them monetarily. So, for they example, source Clippy. What are you talking about, Michael? Right. Okay. So that is a good example. And I, I it's hard for me to argue with that because Clippy is the most innovative and fundamental aspect of computing. But for example, I'm thinking like if they just made MS Office available to use on Linux, that would be a, like a, just a gesture of good faith that people could look at it and say, okay, now they're proving that they care. Would you like use now it? They're just saying they care. Would you use MS Office on Linux? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I don't use any office software anyway, so like I don't doesn't matter to me. But like I'm saying, like if if the, if it would prove that if they put MS Office on Linux, it would prove that this is it would allow them to make money, sort of, to get people to buy it. But it also, in the sense, would make it open to the fact that people, some people, will literally only stay on Windows because of MS Office. Yeah, so if it, if it did that, then it would prove that they're okay with people switching and they're not necessarily trying to hold on to the reins of windows in that way. But like right now, all they're doing is things that benefit them. And while they are embr embracing open source with .NET and making things move over that are like SQL server and all this, other stuff, but everything that they have done benefits them in some way. So, well, this you know, is definitely a, a heated topic. Everybody has opinions on both sides, sure. uh, but, but the just, Linux just, foundation put out a, Interesting, uh, yeah. uh, article Jim Zemlin uh, he put out a, a response basically and the only thing that I'm going to read from it I'll put a link in the description and the show notes but the only thing I'll read from it is number five point number five says how Microsoft under the leadership of Satya Nadella has now completed its transition from an adversary of open source to a first class citizen Interesting. So if you haven't noticed, Microsoft has been opening up a ton of code and has been hiring top developers who are deeply engaging, engaged in open source. So that is going to be a very, I don't think they've unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't I, think they've completed it, but they're close. I don't think I completely agree with him, but, uh, it's definitely not, uh, this, this thing where, like you said, Ryan, where it's people did overreact. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's kind of like the whole like you know, you're in school and girls got cooties. As soon as Microsoft announced it, everyone in Linux was like, "Oh my gosh, we got to get out of here!" And it, it just looked weird to me. It looked, I don't know, tinfoil hat-ish to see how many people were 
you know, uh, vehemently trying to get their code moved over. And it's like, it's fine if you prefer GitLab, but just to do it because Microsoft has their name on it, I think is silliness and makes the community, frankly, look a little bit silly too. GitLab is pretty cool, but I mean, people should look at it as more, you know, I I think the cautiously optimistic approach is is probably the better way because maybe Microsoft ruins it. Maybe they just keep it exactly like it is. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, putting a different slant on this, how how cheesed off must you feel if... You've just purchased your services from, you know, you've, you've paid a subscription to get that. And a week later, someone comes along and gets those exact same services free because they're now doing them all for free. Are they well, going to free refunds? They only do it for free. They do it limited for free in general, but they have the the golden ultimate they announced is going to be free because they've, um, they've kind of added... Uh, the open source approach, or if you're an educational industry uh, organization, or if you've done an open source, they'll allow you to use that stuff for free. But they only do that in if you have no intention to make a profit. So if you're a nonprofit or you're an open source only, and you have no method of making money, then you're fine. But if you have a a company that does open source, but you also want to make some money to you know continue the the funding of the open source project, uh, they won't allow you to have that service. So there there is a little stipulation there. Um, but I just wanted to say, like, you know, last thing I'll point about this one is um, really? Microsoft buying GitHub <laughs> is, I promise, I promise, Microsoft buying GitHub is probably the least bothersome option that they could have done because there were other companies that were wanting Google. to buy it. Google and Oracle were looking to buy it. And if Google done it, I would have been more uh cautious about i would have jumped ship immediately then then i would have been the one with the tinfoil hat jumping ship (laughs) Uh, yeah google doing it but oracle have been like a guaranteed no thank you yeah Uh, but microsoft is like eh, 50 50 we'll see so it's definitely controversial but uh there was also another controversial thing that came up this past week michael with intel and this is so awesome debacle of a 28 core processor no, no, no. It was, a, it was, it was very good that they they announced the 28-core processor, and it's it's so powerful. It's really cool. And then AMD releases a 32-core processor. Yes. Well, what wasn't cool about it is that uh, they basically in, – Intel is, in, is behind uh, AMD for the first time ever. And it's just time after time, including the i9 series of Intel, are just – basically they're they're taking their same chips they're overclocking them shipping them out there saying look we got this new we got this new uh um uh, processor line family to compete with ryzen or whatever but they're behind and this this is usually the responses you would see from amd because there's some news rocco about this intel 28 core chip that wasn't really public at the time of it being announced it's so it was so disingenuous of them to do this at the conference that they did it at because they made it seem like this was a consumer product that was going to be releasing soon and here behind the scenes we find out later that it is not even a a consumer product yet it is a concept thing and they have it running on a machine that had an actual floor air conditioner hooked up to the unit to cool this down just to have it running and do what they were saying it was doing. Yeah, which was the 5 gigahertz clock speeds. Yeah, Which wasn't 5 gigahertz of clock speeds if you break it down and look at it. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, Gamers Nexus YouTube channel. He has a video pretty much explaining 
everything about what happened. Now, there's tons of videos out there. Linus Tech Tips and Paul's Hardware. They all have good videos on it. But I, I thought Gamers Nexus was a, a really good explanation of it. Some of it's very technical on the clock speeds. You should go check it out. You know what I like about Gamers Nexus is he speaks to my ADD. So because he in his filming, he'll be like in different rooms and move and duck down and talk to you from a window and stuff. My I, it keeps my focus. Um, so I think he knows most of us in the tech world uh, tend to be ADD. But yeah, they had to use sub-zero temperatures to get this to five gigahertz. But then AMD was like, oh, yeah, well, how about a real, real chip set? upgrade and yeah, with 32 ours actually works <laughs> yeah it'll actually work and ours is uh 32 cores was their first thread ripper and their new thread ripper is going to be 64 cores wouldn't you love to run h top on that baby <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to see how many things of, of system d around yes but the 32 core that that was the difference intel was offering or showing something they were trying to grab headlines is what they were doing mm -hmm. with something yeah. that wasn't real basically it wasn't going to be where i could purchase this processor and do the same thing you weren't going to do that Yet, this is actually intel's mo just uh there is i don't know if you remember but there's a long time ago that was probably like i don't know 20 years ago something like that now there was an announcement they were like one gigahertz massive processor and back then that was amazing and the same kind of thing that they're doing now but then you and it was like it was like ces or something like that like the consumer thing and then you go and people like went there and was like what is that smell and they had the cooling system of dry ice to make sure that it would be impossible for them to like uh overheat but if you lifted the thing, it was just like there was ice everywhere and there was like dry ice system set up. So like you, you could tell that they, they were they were just like is exact same thing they're doing now and just a different method of cooling. But it's like the same pretending that it's there when it's really not. Well, I have always been an Intel fan as far as their processors are concerned. And I've not been a big fan of AMD, but things like this is what drive people away from mm -hmm. your product line. Mm -hmm. And what AMD has been doing uh, with their processors or with their video cards, I, man, looks like someday I might be switching. Yeah. yeah. I already planned to switch. I just wish they'd have done this like four or five years ago. I didn't plan to switch. I just did it. All right, well, Ryan, what have you been playing this week, man? Dude, I've been playing a game that I honestly was just doing it for the benchmarks because Tomb Raider is the game I've been playing this week. And this is a very graphically intensive AAA graphics. Zeb, you should be proud uh, <laughs> game here. It literally has a benchmark option in it. So I was using it because I had the new Vega 56 card and I wanted to start getting some benchmarks related to it. And Tomb Raider, part of the menu options, has a benchmark to get the frames per second and everything that's bumping out. And let me tell you, it's beautiful on the Vega. Absolutely runs gorgeous. Uh, well, well over 100 frames per second. But the game itself is fantastic. It really, it lured me in, meaning I was just playing it to just do benchmarks, do some overclocking tests to make sure stability, that type of thing. And then I started getting into the story because it's one of the best. I haven't played really deeply the other Tomb Raiders. But this is the best one I can remember playing as far as having a solid storyline it's very movie-esque, meaning you get a lot of cutscenes where you've got to press the button at the right time. But the story matters enough that that's not annoying to me like it typically would be in some of those games. I don't know if you guys have ever played it, but I absolutely dig this port uh, from Feral. Yep. Over. Oh, yeah. 
Tomb Raider is, is a solid game and it's really nice to anytime there's a triple A game that is announced um, and it's coming to Linux like I'm super excited to get it even if it's not even my style of game I'm still going to get it yeah well let's be specific it is Rise okay. of the Tomb Raider because there is a actual Tomb Raider game out there oh, yeah. um, this is Rise of the Tomb Raider and it is definitely a triple A game on Linux the graphics are beautiful it is like you said Ryan movie-esque where you it's a it the storyline will you know pull you in to actually make you feel like you're there does that have you checked it out um I checked it out I think the original one when it first came out when I got my machine and because I couldn't get off the mountain I knew that I was never going to play this <laughs> too because I think the mountain is like the first five minutes of the game so you run along here you jump up there you grab something and then you swing your pickaxe Fall down a hill. Right, start again. And I just, <laughs> it, it needs coordination, something that I don't, I don't have, unfortunately. I was going to say, it was really interesting then that you guys let me do the, the gaming section um, this week. We know you love the pixelated games as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You pointed me over to our friends at Gaming on Linux. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've, they've come up with a list of 12 games to get excited about that's coming to Linux. So I'm not going to go through every single one, but I'll give you my top picks. So All that, right. that should shorten it down somewhat. Any pixelated ones? All of them. So that's the gaming for this week. If you get <laughs> to one next week, I'm sure he'll be able to give us some top oh, tips come on. on games that are coming out. Nothing. You did like not one of these? No, All right. Waiting for Australian I'm, I'm, All right we're, I'm struggling myself here. Yeah. What? Look, There's so many cool things. I, like, I'm struggling. No, yeah, there are. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I, I look through all twelve of them, and I've I've put on there on our sheet that we work from. Um, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of the twelve I would call not pixelated. So the the graphics are nice. If you like that type of game, then you I was wondering what that meant. <laughs> not pixelated. Not pic. Yeah, they, they're, they're good graphics. They're something that I wouldn't mind sitting there watching if someone was really good at it. And then there's the usual sort of Ryan pick where this is something I played on my computer in the 1980s. Um, and not quite as bad as Doggy Fest Manifesto, but, but, but they're heading that way. But if you like these sort of things, if I was going to play any, it would be Serious Sam 4 and, yeah. and Drag. Because that looks like a that looks like a bit of fun. Zeb, what does the the non-pixelated pixelated slash mean? For off-grid it's, and crazy justice. Well, they're they're not really pixelated. They're just very bad graphics. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, come the, on. The type of game hey, that they're doing. So let's go you through these real quick here. When it comes to games. And let me tell you, some of the best games you will ever play don't have great graphics. And you missed out on Artifact. I would think from your guys' generation that of playing What's Rummy in Solitaire. What's that mean? In all of those kind of card games that you would love. <laughs> no. All right, so let's go through these real quick. Life is Strange, Total really cool. War, Thrones of Britannia. Opinions? No? Yes? Uh, I like, yes. Uh, Life is Strange, I'm, I can't wait. Uh, Total War, uh, that one's a an RPG. Strategy. Yeah, RTS. Okay, yeah, that, that's not my style. Um, Battletech? It, Battletech yeah. looks kind of cool. Mech battling? Mm -hmm. I mean, come yeah, on. Who doesn't want to do a mech the battle? original Mech Warrior back in the day that took like... 60 discs to get it running. Anybody? Sure. Yeah. No. Oh uh, them's fighting herds. Really? We no. need more fighters on really, Linux. So I'm glad to see it. <laughs> really? We them's do need more fighters. Herds. That's good. Yep. Uh, Insomnia. Insomnia. Yeah. Amazing yeah. game. I'm not good at horror games, but I'll do it anyway. He scares yeah. easily. 
I do scare easily. That's why I don't watch horror movies either. Zeb, what's on the rest of the list here, man? Um, you've got Serious Sam 4. Um, and I cool. like the fact that you, you appear to be driving around on a motorbike, um, killing all these zombies and bits and pieces rather than just <laughs> trying to run around. Serious Sam is a crazy game. Be, it's really fun. It's so quite violent, fun. Zeb. Um, we Happy Few. I'm pretty sure that's the one that looked like some sort of Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something or other. Yeah. Um, yep. It's just, really? Um <laughs> Drag was a was a car race, and I thought, yeah, we'll have some of that. Um, off grid, I didn't even get what the game was about. So, will you go off grid? What do you mean? <laughs> right, sure. Yeah, um, I think they need to improve their little shortcut videos that they give out to give you a better understanding of what the game is. Um, Hypergate, the, the space adventure one, that that looked like it could be quite good. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll forget the next one because Ryan's already covered it and I didn't even play those games when I had a pack of cards let alone doing it on the <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Crazy Justice was another one that I thought could have been good if the graphics had been better this is well, a battle yeah. royale game again yeah graphics is, is, is it's, that's definitely a preference thing it's a stylized game mm, that yeah. some people don't like and it's true I'm surprised uh, you would talk about the graphics here because these are actually beautiful cell shaded style graphics that yeah. are considered triple A and in fact the most popular game I think out there period right now is Fortnite and it looks exactly like Fortnite and uh, it's called Crazy Justice out there and you can pre-order it and the fact that it's supposed to come to Linux Yes, is actually a huge deal because we don't mm. really have a very powerful battle Royale style game out there for Linux uh, to draw right. people in. We don't have Fortnite. Um, but well, what about that web browser based <laughs> survive.io? Yeah, man. I love it. But yeah, the graphics in that case are going to make most people laugh. You wouldn't be like, you need to switch to Linux. Check out our battle Royale survive.io. Yeah, I'm looking forward to crazy justice. Cause this is, I've been wanting to play Fortnite for a while. And, but this, this actually looks very similar to Fortnite and also has like some interesting uh, uh, ideas that they're doing. So I, I can't wait to play this. For me, I think that would be the one on the list that I'm mo most excited about. Not because I like Battle Royale games, because that's not my favorite genre. But to have a first-class Battle Royale game on Linux will be awesome. I can like, then stop seeing every single Steam friend that I have playing PUBG, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah this game is actually it might be better for people who like fast-paced games because it, it, look at it, it's not like the PUBG where you spend 20 minutes trying to find loot. It takes maybe 30 seconds to get some stuff and then it's you know it's a very fast-paced game. Yeah. yeah. It's a still but, battle royale but it's a fast-paced one. But just to give you a heads up for any future episodes that we do with regard to gaming, asking me to review games <laughs> is like asking Colonel Sanders to go and taste McDonald's, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just <laughs> not happening, boys. Oh. Uh, all right. So uh, NVIDIA has come out with a new driver, 390.67, and I am sick and tired of all of these new drivers coming out, Ryan. Why would you be sick and tired of having progression? I am sick and tired of all of these drivers coming out and not fixing the actual issues that happened to me. Oh, well, that must be because you're using KDE. Yeah. Well, okay. So, you know, in here, it says it fixed the bug that caused uh, KWIN OpenGL compositing to crash when launching. Okay. Mm -hmm. But every single time I try KDE, I have some type of graphics reset. And it has to be with the NVIDIA drivers. I'm and sick and tired of drivers getting new features and not fixing my problem. That's it. That's it. That's being selfish, ain't it? <laughs> I want them to fix my problems. Why are we why are we talking about NVIDIA 
390.67, and yet I'm using 396. Because it's a stable release. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. So this is there's so many point releases they do. LTS, is it? Yeah, it's 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 the the LTS version of their drivers. So they have multiple. They have one that continuously goes, and one that has like new iterations. Now there were problems with the 390 series, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with Linux Lite and a few distros that pretty much made it unusable when they installed it. So you should watch where you're installing this, and Mm -hmm. and not just this might fix it. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So there's an interesting thing I want to bring up on this with related to just drivers and things. So when I was doing different distros with this Vega card, there were certain distros that had obviously different versions of the driver. And at certain points, I was the entire machine would lock up where you could not use anything. You couldn't Alt F2, F4 or anything. I mean, lock, lock up. What I found out is that the motherboard I have, which is the MSI X470 Gamers Pro Carbon Edition, they just released a patch for the PCIe Express Lane specific to the Vega and their BIOS where it wasn't calling to it correctly. So that on top of the different, I would notice that, but assume it was an OS issue, but it was really an issue with the motherboard and not having the latest BIOS. Now they use M-Flash, so you can flash it via USB, but for anybody who's thinking of going into the AMD world and maybe has an MSI board, that PCIe issue, if you're experiencing issues, would be impactful. So just kind of a heads up there. Mm-hmm. Nice. So once I did that flash, everything works perfect. And the card is way faster. So there was something within the BIOS that was basically throttling that PCI Express link. So my question is, is that specific to MSI or is that going to be all motherboards with Vega or what? That's an interesting question. I don't know. I only have the MSI, but I would definitely go to your computer manufacturer or your motherboard manufacturer, check out the BIOSes and see if there's anything related to PCI Express uh, for enhancements or otherwise. And always look at those notes. Um you know, to see what they're improving. If nothing's broke, don't fix it. That's kind mm-hmm. of the rule of thumb for flashing your BIOS. But if yeah. you are experiencing issues, always use that as a, something to go look at because had I not been looking at that, I would have never seen it and thought it was an issue with an OS. That's a good point. I, th- I haven't thought about that. Um, but I'll, well, here's something I really want to talk about is the Winepack uh, repository it is now it's a flat pack style repository for windows games and applications through wine this is a fantastic idea and i'm so happy to see this being done so it allows you to use in the same way that snaps a lot that that this snap we talked about earlier they do the steam the steam from windows snap this is kind of like the same thing and they have it's pre-packaged for individual games and applications and things like that so you can do uh, the same kind of idea with Flatpak using this wine pack. And the fact that they're like, just in general, I knew this was possible, but the fact that they're making a whole repository to easily get access to these things is just awesome. Well, nice. I think it's amazing, not only because, okay, so you can do you can do certain things in wine, you can set it up manually, but this is set up for you and the list of games oh, yeah. that they already have. So this is just starting out. They don't even have a storefront, a website to show you what... Uh, available packages they have but they already have overwatch uh, world of warcraft league of legends path of exile world of tanks and i thought world of tanks was a linux game was it not or am i am that's I interesting wrong? i thought it was too I think um, so. maybe, maybe there's like a 
some kind of difference. I don't know. And the best part, they have Notepad plus plus. Yep, and Internet Explorer eight. <laughs> yeah, is that the best part, Rocco? Is it really? That's totally the best part. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, this is not something that you can't do uh, by yourself. But for it, the same situation with the Snap for uh, well, uh, Steam for Windows. Yeah, it's done for you, and it will allow regular users, everyday users, to do to actually play the games they want to play. I think it's awesome. By the way, just real quick, uh, World of Tanks is not available for Linux by default, but on the World of Tanks webpage, they do recommend running it through Wine. So they kind of oh, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I know I've seen videos on YouTube of people running World of Tanks on Linux. Mm-hmm. So that, it must have been through Wine. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I I think they like the the idea of doing this is so great. Not only just because of the confinement of all the the, the repositories and the, the formats in general, but just the the idea of having all like Wine is a great tool that is mm-hmm. very difficult to use, especially if you're a beginner. Yep. Even if you're not, it's still very difficult to set up all the different nuances. And then let's say there's a new version of Wine, but the game that you're running doesn't support that version of wine so you you have to kind of like you know decide this weird connection between whether the the app works or the game works and the wine is the better version etc and now wine is set up for you and you don't have to do any of that you just download it install it and it's it's like this is the kind of thing that i've been wanting for so long and this was like as soon as i I, like the flat packs and snaps were announced i was like please someone do this yeah it has so excited very cool stuff. Yep. All right. Is that all we're going to cover this week? I think that's it, man. All right. Well, people have been watching this live on YouTube, and uh, we are also streaming it live on Twitch as well. So uh, most weeks uh, when we don't have an interview, uh, we will be streaming this live. You can see it there. Uh, the rest of you will be receiving this on the edited version on Friday at 8 a.m. But We appreciate everybody stopping by. We appreciate you watching and supporting the show. So thank you. We also want to thank everyone, uh, our patrons, everyone who sends us emails and correspondences and those that leave us comments. We love looking at reading those emails. And a lot of times we'll include them in the show. We try to keep it anonymous by just using first name unless you tell us otherwise. And that helps us to learn, grow, and get better as well. So thank you for uh, continuing to help us get better. Yeah, and if you want to help uh, the, the the podcast grow even more, we you can we would use we would very much like for you to like just rate it, rate the podcast in whatever podcast app you use and things like that. Even if you use iTunes, that, that'd be good too. Because for some reason, it's still a very popular thing. I'm not totally sure why, but uh, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. So it, it would be very beneficial if you do that. And uh, feel free to smash that like button, as oh, Rocco loves to say. Stop. You're welcome, Rocco. Oh, we did gosh. that just for you. <laughs> Well, you can also email us, uh, like I said earlier in the show, at comments at destinationlinux.org, and we will try to respond as quickly as possible. I know there are a few things that we still need to get back on, including some of the uh, guys on Mastodon uh, and their comments as well. So we are working on things. Uh, We just don't do them as fast as we'd like always. All right, that'll wrap it up for us this week. Everybody have a great week. And remember... The journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, everyone. Have a good one. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Going over or we hold stay? on. He's getting the baseball bat out, right? We're gonna get a reputation for being like Michael. I know. Thing amazing? No, definitely not amazing. Godlike? No. Godlike. No. <laughs> not that one. Royalty? No. Hmm. Just late. I wouldn't mind, but we all sat down here at 20 past four. <laughs> 40 minutes of waffle and we still can't get uh, there on time. Yeah. Well, if we went ahead to switch all the scene overlays. Michael. Because Michael had to pick out an error. All right. Um, I just assume everything works always. Don't assume, Michael. <clears throat> it's a fair point. But. All right. I'm ready when you guys are ready. This I think the sound test is good. Perfect? Uh, not perfect, but good. Good enough. All right. Let's do it. <sighs> All right. I guess let's do it. I guess. That doesn't seem very confident, sir. Well, you've seen our shows before, Michael. <laughs> All right. That's why, that's why you're, con- <laughs> you're confident, regardless of reasoning to have it. That's what I go with. All right. Yeah, I think it's awesome stuff. So, uh, any thoughts on that one, Rocco? Any other points or anything? Yes. What are they? Can you uh, bullet point them out, please? Yeah. Thanks for confirming your your point. Wow. Yeah, that's the conversation we're looking for, Rocco. Perfect. That's all I got. So, I'm going to do my best Rocco impression and... All everyone is doing is kicking off the article and not covering everything in here. So it shouldn't matter if you have enough questions or not, because you'll have your chance to talk. We just got so to discussion. keep this a conversation yes. and a discussion. Okay. I don't want you guys just going off on tangents and reading the bullet points. Okay. My job, is, my job is done here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rocco, you've got the NVIDIA. Uh, 390.67 driver release? I'm sure, yeah. I'm not real excited about it, but yeah, I got it. You should be. You have NVIDIA. That doesn't help, dude. It doesn't help. help. They fixed all kinds of X. They uh, fixed all kinds of stuff that doesn't concern me at all. (laughs) You know, you could. (laughs) Does it fix the problems I have with KDE? No. (laughs) Until you do, you're dead to me. (laughs) <laughs> well, you just got your conversation topic. I don't care about this article. I'm going to cover it anyways, but it doesn't help me at all. I love it. My gosh, Rocco, you literally put all 30 in there and of the themes. I tried them all. That is awesome. All right. Uh, so oh, did you actually put opinions on here? Yeah. Freaking all of them. That took a lot of work. Wow. Uh, if only you could do that with the overlays. So, yeah, maybe I didn't have time to do the overlays because I was <laughs> probably should have been done from the beginning, but. Wow. 
Shut it wow. there. Rocco. So toxic. I mean, Nobody needs your attitude I mean, today. You know, right? Kind of like the overlay thing. Don't you think this should have been done beforehand? <laughs> Look, he's just thinking about it the whole time until he can find a way to get it back, shove it back in my face. Do you see that? Yep. I don't know what you're talking about. He's calculated. He was sitting there waiting for the opening. He's like, just somebody say it. He's yeah. like, yeah, come on. Bring it, bring it. And gotcha. But it, when it's something you enjoy, like themes, you're able to do 30 themes. So do you have more than 30 scenes? No, I only have probably, what, 18 or so. So I actually have about 40 scenes in mine. Nobody asked you, Michael. That's oh, the thing. Bad. This was a conversation. <laughs> this was a conversation. I thought we were all involved in the conversation. No, wow. this is me picking on Rocker. You don't oh, get involved okay. unless you're going to join my side. I'm not sensitive, okay? Oh, my God. Like Rocco, that. you need to go to the restroom. I need to get these. We don't want an accident. <laughs> I need to get these things done or it won't be right. Remember when we had an accident at one show? You didn't go when we told you to go? No, I, I don't remember that. Funny. I just remember the keyboard thing. Right, I'm going to go. Do you not remember we turned the, we turned the entire podcast around? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Something. I am Ryan, and I was at Linux Fest, and you weren't. I am Michael, and I was also at Linux Fest, but I'm my camera doesn't display that very easily. Hi, <laughs> I'm Zeb, and who gives a <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. I'm aware that you're messing with me. Yeah, see what happens. You couldn't hear my speakers, but I could hear you my speakers. Uh, make sure that there wouldn't be interruptions because someone was supposed to be coming over. So you had an interruption to make sure there weren't We would never well, mess with you. Yeah, there was an interruption during the actual thing, you know? We, this, would, this is, we would never is, mess with this you. This is just a testing. Ever. So this is just a testing. I'm, I'm, I'm being considerate. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Did, did you also link that in the tele... I'm, I don't know. If, no. You, a, you got an email, Michael. I know. I just... Hold on. Stand by archaic man. don't do it Rocco don't don't hand feed him you'll keep coming back around your house wanting more food <laughs> it is it shut I up. don't understand why you're still so mad because they have pretty much done what you asked and they, yes. you still are not happy and that's the problem with the you are the problem with the Linux you are world the problem. so stop your whining yeah, Michael. Exactly. no that's only one of the problems I have with it I found other issues too no I've had I've had let me pull out my scroll what? Why are you doing Mickey? <laughs> Please don't. Um, what? Hey, it's the Undertaker. Actually, yeah, uh, I can it's do that. Good impression. Uh, it's actually difficult, but I can do that. Uh, also, have you seen this? Look what I can do! I sure hope you're recording, Rocco. Please tell me you're recording. Oh yeah, I'm always recording. Oh. <laughs> uh. Why would you think this would be in the outtakes? This is our private session where Rocco wouldn't dare right. record. I wouldn't dare record. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm um, a real boy. Hey. <laughs> I'm a real podcaster. <laughs> I got my Linux Fest shirt on. What about you? Hey, Rocco, did you notice that one of the cast of Destination mm-hmm. Linux was wearing a Destination I Linux did. shirt at the conference, but another one wasn't? I, I did notice that. I didn't say anything, yeah. but I did notice there was that. There was a problem with that. I couldn't wear my Destination Linux shirt because I do not have one. 
That also could be a problem. Yeah. You know, when I really love something, I usually try to buy a product. About, oh, look at that. You got the Linux vest. You'll wear that. I gave it to me for free. Of course I'll wear it. <laughs> no, I said, don't cut the news out. And, you know, I'm the one who's responsible while you all get to game and play your little Rocket League all through the week. I have to write the episode out and put all these articles in. And do you guys try to make my life easier by making the document for me? Yes, but I didn't see it. And that's the point. <laughs> oh, so it wasn't our fault. It was your fault. 